welcome to our first episode of the 2022 BMJ Sexually Transmitted Infections podcast. My name is Fabiola Martin and I'm the BMJ SDI podcast editor. I am consultant physician in sexual and reproductive health, HIV and HTLB medicine, and senior medical research fellow at the School of Public Health at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. Today, we will focus on NATSAL and NATSAL COVID. These are Britain's national surveys of sexual attitudes and lifestyles. NATSAL has been undertaken every 10 years since 1990 and is a key data source for sexual and reproductive health policy development. However, as you can imagine, COVID-19 pandemic disrupted many aspects of sexual lifestyle, prompting the initiation of NATSAL COVID study to understand the impact of COVID-19 on sexual behavior and service use. It is a pleasure to welcome Professor Kath Mercer and Professor Nigel Field to our podcast today. And as always, I would like them to introduce themselves because they can do a much better job than I. So hello, Kath. Good morning to you in beautiful London. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role in COVID-19 study? Hi, I'm Kath Mercer. I'm Professor of Sexual Health Sciences at University College London. And with Professor Pam Sonnenberg, I co-lead the programme of work that includes NatSAL COVID and the next NatSAL, NatSAL 4, but more about that later. However, I would just like to acknowledge our amazing NatSAL team, which includes colleagues at UCL, the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, the University of Glasgow and NatSEM Social Research. Fantastic. And I want to now move on to Nigel. Thank you for making time for us at this early hour of the day. So welcome to you, Nigel, from London. And could you please tell us a little bit about your scope of work and your work with Natsal COVID? Hi, Fabiola, and thanks so much for the warm introduction and for hosting us on the podcast. Um, I'm Nigel Field. I'm a professor of infectious disease epidemiology at UCL. And I'm the co-PI of NatSAL COVID, together with my co-PI, Professor Kirsty Mitchell at the University of Glasgow. Fantastic. So a very um, large team in different towns of uh, UK as well. A lot of research outputs have been published in peer-reviewed high-impact factor journals so far. But before we dive into one or two details of these outcomes, Nigel, could you please provide us with a summary of how NatSAL COVID was conducted? Yes. So the NatSAL COVID team conducted two web panel surveys administered by the survey research company Ipsos Moray. And because web panels are not usually representative of the population as a whole, we used quota-based sampling and we applied weighting to achieve a sample that we feel is quasi-representative of the British general population and can be generalised to as such. And the study included participants who were aged 18 to 59 years old, and they were from Scotland, England and Wales. And the data that we'll discuss today mainly come from the first wave of the study, which included 6,658 participants who answered a questionnaire that took on average 10 minutes to complete about their sexual behaviours, their sexual health service use, and all of this was during the first four months of the pandemic. Ah, thank you. Impressive and great to see that NATSAL could continue despite the pandemic. And Kath, 
which outcomes received most media interest and why do you think that was the case? Well, contrary to talk of a sex drought as a result of COVID restrictions, the Natsal COVID study showed that in Britain, most people's sex lives were unaffected in the months following the first national lockdown. And this really reflects how most adults in the general population in Britain live with a partner. However, there was a sizable minority for who firstly perceived changes in how often they had sex, which they were most likely to describe as a decline. But secondly, they also perceived changes in the type of sexual activity they engaged in during lockdown, in contrast to the three months pre-pandemic. Of note, we found that those not living with a partner, so mainly younger people, were more likely to report a decline in partnered sex, which is perhaps unsurprising given the nature of social restrictions that were in place that prevented people who didn't live together from mixing. Now, perhaps to compensate for this decline in in in-person partnered sex, we saw an increase in the reporting of masturbation, so solo sex, the use of sex toys, and also virtual activities such as sexting and using video calls to interact sexually. Now, whilst virtual activities were on the whole less commonly reported than in-person activities, even during lockdown, among those who did report virtual activities, increases were more likely, especially in terms of porn use, where increases were almost twice as likely to be reported as decreases. Thank you, Cass. Nigel, what are the implications here? Do we have any data on access to sexual and reproductive services as well during our pandemic? Yes, through Natsal COVID, we asked participants about uh, whether they were able to access sexual health and STI-related services, and also whether they needed to access these but had difficulty doing so. And so, although Kath has said some behaviours, such as reported new partners and condomless sex, did seem to fall, we had evidence of that, there were still participants who reported risky sexual behaviours during lockdowns. And these participants or some of the participants reported needing sexual health services during the early part of the pandemic. And so overall, around 10% of the sample said that they had been able to access the services that they needed, while 10% in both genders reported being unable to access services at least once during this period. And a further 3% said that they needed to access services, but didn't try to access them. I see. What we found was that a range of sexual behaviour markers of increased STI risk, such as condomless sex with a new partner, were very strongly associated with reported service use. And that suggests that services did reach many of those at risk. However, 60% of the sexually active men and women who reported condomless sex with a new partner since the start of lockdown hadn't used services where we might have expected them to, and guidelines would recommend this. And we found similar associations with high-risk sexual behaviours and reporting a failed attempt to use services. And I think that this highlights that there were unmet needs in the population during this period. And taken together, the findings suggest that services were um, actually incredibly successful under very challenging circumstances in reaching many of those in need. But at the same time, there was unmet need in the population and a sizable fraction of 
those at risk had not been able to use the services that they needed. And I think mm -hmm. the million dollar question, if you like, is very hard to answer, which is what that means for SDI incidents during this period. Well, I think what we can say is that we would expect any benefits that are brought by a reduction in partner change, which we know is a driver, a key driver of SDI incidents, to be offset by the reductions that we've seen in testing and treatment. Yes, and in a way that was also in predicted when uh, Dr. John Maxoli talked to us about sexual health and COVID at the beginning of the pandemic, referring to unmet um, needs when it comes to access, easy access of sexual and reproductive health during the lockdowns of COVID-19 pandemic. So the lockdown has been associated with isolation and loneliness in general. Did natural COVID teach us anything about the impact of the pandemic on sexual satisfaction? So do we know how satisfied people were with the sex lives during lockdown, Kath? Yes, well, natural COVID asked about whether participants perceived a change in how often they'd had sex. But the survey also asked participants if they perceived a change in how satisfied they were with their sex lives in contrast to the three months pre-pandemic. Again, changes in satisfaction were only perceived by a minority and notably a smaller minority in contrast to those who perceived a change in their sexual frequency. But those who perceived a change in satisfaction were again more likely to perceive this as a deterioration. Now, in a companion paper led by Kirsty Mitchell that's published in the Journal of Sex Research, we focus specifically on people in steady relationships. So around about two thirds of the Natsal COVID sample. In this paper, it considers different aspects of sex life quality, such as the experience of sexual difficulties, the avoidance of sex, as well as aspects of relationship quality, including relationship happiness, sense of support and connectedness. Now, Kirsty's paper shows that those in steady relationships were more likely to say that aspects of their sex life quality deteriorated, whereas aspects of their relationship quality were more likely to improve. So something of a good news story there. However, as we observe for the population as a whole, and as reported in the paper in STIs, age was far more important than gender or cohabitation status in predicting change. So young people in steady relationships were again more likely to report changes in the quality of their sex lives and relationships. I wonder what the impact of sexual activities were on COVID transmission. So obviously lockdowns, people during lockdowns, people were expected to stay in. But is there any data available on the sexual activities and their impact on COVID transmission? Yes, absolutely. We were really interested to know the extent to which sexual intimacy needs might affect adherence to physical distancing and lockdown measures and the incidence of SARS-CoV-2. Um, not only has it hit the news with Matt Hancock in the UK, who's the now ex-Secretary for Health, and others breaking the rules that they set, but we felt that sexual intimacy might not have been considered sufficiently in the policy setting. 
And so in a paper that will shortly be coming out in BMJ Open by Pam Sonnenberg and the Natsau COVID team, we found that over one in 10 participants aged 18 to 59 reported physical contact with a sexual partner outside of their household in the four weeks prior to interview. And this was at a time when that would have been banned. What that meant was that also most of the population had abided by the rules that were set in this respect. We found that uh, having a sexual partner outside of the household was higher in young people and also reported more by people not identifying as heterosexual. And this probably reflects the household structure and the extent to which the lockdown measures affected people not living with their partners more than many other groups. Overall, uh, this may have contributed to trends in COVID infection. And so sexual intimacy outside of the household might need to be considered in mathematical modeling of COVID transmission. But perhaps more importantly, is the requirement and the need to think about sex, people's sex lives in public health messaging about risks of COVID transmission. That's a very clear message. And thank you very much for your concise summary of a huge study and so far at least five publications and I'm sure many more to come. We're coming to the end of our podcast and I wonder what the research team is planning to do next. Cass, what is the future or what are the future plans for the Natsal team? Well, it's a really exciting time for the Natsal team as after a year's delay because of COVID, we're now making final preparations in order to finally start this summer, a 16-month period of interviewing around 10,000 people aged 16 to 59, who, as in previous decennial NatSAL surveys, will be randomly selected from across Britain to participate in NatSAL 4. In parallel, we plan to undertake a third wave of NatSAL COVID to quickly provide an additional time point in the series of these COVID-focused NatSAL surveys, which have been so valuable for informing and monitoring policy and practice during such extraordinary times. A third such survey will also enable us to see how the NatSAL data compare to NatSAL 4, given their different methodological approaches. Now, over the past few years, a great deal of work has gone into getting us this far with NatSAL. It seems a very long time ago now since we were promoting the NatSAL 4 stakeholder consultation, including at the BASH and ISSDDR conferences back in 2019. Since then, the NatSAL team has done a huge amount of work alongside running NatSAL COVID to ensure that NatSAL 4 is fit for purpose in terms of updating the questions it asks and its biological measures, in order that NatSAL 4 can assess the contemporary picture, continue to monitor trends, and further understand the broader context of such a critical area of our lives. Thank you. That's a, a huge project you have ahead. And uh, I wish you both good luck with future natals uh, with and without COVID. So in summary, most people's sex life was unaffected, especially if they lived with a partner. But younger people who did not live with a partner reported a decrease in partnered sex. Sexual dissatisfaction was reported by a minority of survey participants and others reported an improvement in the relationship quality when in a steady relationship. 
One in 10 survey participants had sex outside their household during the first phase of lockdown, and many people at risk had not been able to use sexual and reproductive health services when they needed to. So thank you, Kath and Nigel, again for joining us today. And thank you to all our listeners. This was the first 2022 BMJ STI podcast. I'm Fabiola Martin and our guests were Professor Kath Mercer and Professor Nigel Field. You can subscribe to our regular podcasts on your preferred platform, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify to get them directly on your device. We'd also like to hear from you, so please get in touch through our social media channels, Twitter or Facebook, or leave us a rating and review on the STI podcast page. Stay safe and goodbye.